Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast that seeks to recover authentic Christianity and live it out today. Last month, the U.S. Congress held a hearing with three whistleblowers who provided testimony about UFOs. Yes, I just said UFOs. No, I haven't lost my mind or started subscribing to the tabloids. This is a topic that has moved from the fringes of conspiracy land right into serious public hearings in the United States government. In today's episode, I'm interviewing Keegan Chandler, who has been seriously thinking about this subject for many years. Keegan Chandler is a historian of religion, currently working on his PhD in religious studies at the University of Cape Town, where he is researching monotheism in Japanese religions. He also holds a Master of Theology degree from Campbellsville University. He is the author of several books and articles and currently writes for his blog, Exploring Religion. And I've had him on the show before. You can find my previous interviews with him on the podcast feed. Now, I know this is a Christian theology podcast, or not entirely just theology, but a lot of it is theology. But we need to talk about this subject. And Chandler is the guy to guide us. He's intimately familiar with the evidence and has thought this topic through. And besides, I think you'll agree that there are significant theological implications if it turns out non-human intelligence is behind these unexplained, unidentified flying objects. But before we get to that, we need to first talk about the evidence and different theories for what these objects are. Here now is episode 508, Are UFOs Real? with Keegan Chandler. Welcome, Keegan Chandler, to Restitutio. So glad to have you on the show today. Thanks for having me, Sean. Very excited about our discussion. Today we're talking about a somewhat controversial topic. I did a little bit of a search just before the show, before we recorded, about the congressional hearing that just occurred on July 26th, just a short while ago. And I'm coming across headlines like, Congressional UFO hearing shows need for more transparency. And whistleblower testifies U.S. salvage non-human biologics. And these are major news outlets. You know, the Associated Press released a headline, UFO congressional hearing whistleblower says U.S. concealing multi-decade program that captured UFOs. That's the Associated Press, Keegan. So there's definitely some major stuff going on in our country, in our government, and you're the one that we have to talk to about it today. I'm so happy you're here. What are UAPs? I want to begin with that question. What are UAPs and NHIs, and where do these terms come from, and why are people using them now? Can you just give us a a place to get started here to understand the topic? Sure, I'm happy to, and I'll also be happy to mention that I'm not a scientist or an expert in politics or a military analyst. I'm a scholar of religion by training, a historian of religion, and I also have an interest in theology, but I've also been interested in these issues that you're referring to, which are bubbling up in the, in the mainstream media now. I've been interested in these issues uh, for a long time, and I feel that they have a surprising amount of overlap with subjects in, in my field of study. So hopefully I'll be able to 
provide at least an introduction to that overlap for your audience as well as to the broader subject in general, uh, all of which is very important in my view. So yes, let's talk about this, this term UAP. UAP is the result of a recent recalibration of our terminology within the United States government and subsequently within popular global discourse. UAP presently stands for Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena, though very recently it stood for Unidentified Aerial Phenomena. And this term, UAP, was developed to be a replacement of UFOs, Unidentified Flying Object, a term I'm sure we're all familiar with. Now, some uh, can look at this rebranding cynically, uh, that it's simply trying to evade the cultural stigma associated with the term UFOs, and that wouldn't be far off. That is part of its function. However, this rebranding or recalibration of terminology actually is a sensible idea from an analytical standpoint in that it forces an expansion of our thinking about the phenomenon that we have in view. The term UFO described a flying object, but UAP now describes an aerial phenomena, which may or may not correspond to an actual physical object in 3D space, if you will. And the most current definition of UAP is referring not just to aerial targets, but anomalous targets is obviously even more expansive, uh, perhaps to a fault even. And my understanding is that this expansion was performed explicitly in order for the term to be able to encompass underwater or undersea phenomena which have also been reported and discussed within military and intelligence circles. But again, configuring the term UAP to refer to all unidentified anomalies, it does seem far too broad as a category, but that's a little, at least a little primer on what the terminology is trying to do. It's trying to describe objects or apparent objects which have been sighted in all domains, including in the skies and in the oceans, all of which have taken on a wide variety of characteristics but which have generally posed a tremendous challenge in terms of definitive identification. I, I see. And what about NHIs? Yeah, NHIs. Now, this is a, a newly popular and vital term required for this dialogue. NHI stands for non-human intelligence. This is a much more helpful uh, term than aliens or ETs, I think, extraterrestrials. The term alien has in some ways lost its effectiveness as an analytical category since its long-term use in the culture has turned it into something of a folk category, which immediately uh, conjures images of the proverbial little green men and also seems to be overly focused on things that don't originate here on Earth, things that are, quote, alien, uh, as in foreign. And uh, so for both reasons of cultural stigma and for technical reasons, the term NHI is much more helpful as it doesn't dictate origin like the term alien or extraterrestrial seems to do. Because at, at this stage, we simply don't have enough information at the public level to be determinate in assigning origin. And these um, NHI, if they exist, could have originated uh, terrestrially. So like the term UAP, the term NHI is deliberately broad and therefore it's very helpful as a top-level corral for the data, and I've also found it helpful from the standpoint of the study of religion and also theology, as we'll doubtless get to later in our discussion, but there's at least a little primer for your audience on these very important terms, UAP and NHI. 
Okay, and so why are people taking this seriously now? You know, there have been reports of this sort of thing, these unexplained phenomena in the sky, for example, for a long time. Why is it all of a sudden now the Congress is dealing with this and people are taking it seriously? What do you think? Yeah, you're right. You're right to think of this in terms of the bigger picture, in terms of the broader story. There has been a new explosion of public interest and awareness of the increasing need to identify these anomalous objects. But it's true, this situation has been an item of American and really global interest for at least nearly 80 years uh, with this particular public conversation we're having now going back to um, at least Kenneth Arnold's famous sighting at Mount Rainier in June of 1947. And then also, of course, to the famous Roswell case in the following month of July 1947. But you are exactly right. Uh, We do need to point out that UAP, or things which would correspond to the current parlance, have uh, been recorded by human beings for far, far longer than that. And maybe we'll get into some of that later. But The late 1940s or so might be where historians of the subject would say that the American public became acutely aware of this issue under uh, the famous heading UFO. The call for the American government to tell people what it knows about this has been slowly increasing ever since, reaching now something of a fever pitch in this year of 2023 with its unprecedented congressional calls for the Department of Defense to disclose its information on this topic. For example, the House Oversight Committee last month, which you mentioned, which drew several witnesses and a whistleblower alleging not only the reality of UAP uh, as as items of non-human technology, but alleging what UFO researchers have said all along, which is that some sectors of the U.S. government, very well-hidden sectors, are indeed covering up what they know about it. Of note, lately there is also in the Senate Uh, The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer's sponsored bill in the NDAA, we should talk about this as well. It's tantalizingly titled the UAP Disclosure Act of 2023. So lots and lots of discussion about UAPs in our government and within popular discussion as well. Perhaps the most uh, in a very long time, uh, at least in, in our lifetime, Sean. And what people need to realize is that This has been a slow buildup um, behind the scenes for many, many years. I've heard some people commenting on uh, recent discussions within the government uh, that have become public facing. Some people view the timing of some of these uh, goings on uh, with great suspicion. They suspect that these uh, discussions are something of a distraction. And this is simply commentary coming from a place of extreme ignorance as to what's been happening for the last 70 to 80 years in this country around this issue, and then especially what's been happening since at least the year 2017, which is when the New York Times uh, broke a particular article revealing what many have suspected all along, which is that the Pentagon has in fact taken the issues of UAPs seriously despite uh, denying all interest uh, for many years. So very, very uh, exciting time to be discussing these things. And very helpful theologians and pastors like yourself are raising this subject for the sober and careful discussion that it deserves. Yeah. I mean, that's really the issue, right? Let's talk about it. Let's think it through. Let's discuss and consider the different options. 
what would you say are the possible explanations for UAPs? Well, there's a variety of options, and I'll try to work through these as briskly as I can. The first type of explanation that we can discuss, we could call prosaic explanations or mundane explanations. These would include tricks of light, ball lightning, misidentified birds, conventional aircraft, swamp gas. That's the famous flippant response of Dr. Alan Hynek of the Air Force's Project Blue Book in the mid-60s. And there's probably another subset of prosaic explanation we can describe, and that is advanced but heretofore undisclosed military technology, either belonging to the United States or its allies or to the United States uh, near-peer adversaries, namely China or Russia. So I would put all of those types of explanations into this prosaic or mundane category, uh, despite the fact that some of this technology might appear extremely advanced to us, but ultimately it's terrestrial in origin and not necessarily paradigm shattering. Another possible explanation for UAPs is what's known as the ETH, or the extraterrestrial hypothesis. The idea that these are physical craft belonging to extraterrestrials who are from, simply put, another planet. They evolved on another planetary body in the galaxy, or perhaps from a certain theological perspective, we might say they were created on some other planet. And these extraterrestrials have produced technological means of visiting our world. So that's probably the most well-known and uh, popular answer as to what's going on. There's also uh, the interdimensional hypothesis. This is the idea that uh, they come from another dimension, if you will. And usually people discuss this option with some reference to what physicists call string theory. Here, these entities could even be co-located with humans here on this planet or in the near vicinity. And yet they belong to a different biosphere, perhaps a shadow biome, if you will, that our senses haven't evolved to be privy to. And that's a basic idea, which actually wouldn't be surprising in light of what contemporary evolutionary science has to say about human ability, or should I say inability to view all aspects of reality. Another closely related idea is the crypto-terrestrial hypothesis. This is the idea that UAP are actually the product of mysterious or secretive races which do originate on Earth, uh, but perhaps they now live in the oceans or underground or something like that. And so these are technically a sort of cryptid. They share this planet with us, or if they were here first, we might say they own it and we are the newcomers. Hopefully, if this is the case, we're not seen as pests, but nuclear weapons would likely make us quite irritating, if not threatening, to neighbors like this. There's also another option closely related to this that's sometimes conflated, and uh, and this is called uh, the breakaway civilization hypothesis. This is the idea that along humanity's path, there was another group of humans who became very advanced and who retreated, again, perhaps underground or underwater, These UAP are their probes, and they're trying to warn us or scare us off or to keep us from blowing up the planet we share with them, something like that. I see. Recently, or somewhat recently, there has emerged another option, garnered a surprising amount of attention on some of the news programs that I've watched. And this is actually my least favorite uh, for philosophical reasons. This is the time-traveling humans from the future hypothesis. 
Some have thought that if you have the ability to manipulate gravity or space-time, which is how some researchers have theorized that these craft are operating, then you may have the ability to travel back in time, so to speak. So it might be us, future humans, who may be coming back here for a variety of reasons, usually speculated as to warn us of some impending cataclysm, though if that's their intent, they're not warning us very loudly. And the last hypothesis that I'll mention, this is really not to be taken as an independent alternative to these others, but it's so important and fascinating that it needs to be mentioned, and it's something I've been personally fascinated by. And this is what we might call the control system hypothesis of Jacques Vallée. Famed French information scientist Jacques Vallée uh, wrote a very important uh, book called Passport to Magonia, highly recommended. And Vallée suggests that whatever these intelligences are, they've always been with us, regardless of where they first originated. But with these craft, there's more than meets the eye, quite literally, uh, to our perception of UAPs and the NHI who appear to be piloting them. Vallée documented throughout history many cases of human beings encountering strange apparent vehicles or objects, and then the associated pilots uh, who seem to come out of them and introduce themselves to human beings. And what he noticed is that while these encounters and sightings uh, appear to be consistent throughout history, the appearance of these craft and beings changes. For example, it may be that we are in Ireland and we are encountering fairy folk. It may be that we are in the 1800s and now we are seeing flying ships with, you know, steampunk type technology. And then as we enter the atomic age, now we seem to see all of these um, nuts and bolts types of craft. So the suggestion here is that what we're encountering are a psychic projection to some degree. Or uh, as Valet has said um, more recently, there may actually be something there. There's an object there. I think that's certainly what he would say now at this stage with the data at hand. There's an object there, but our perception of it has been altered based on the cultural context of the beholder, you know, what we're expecting or needing to see. So what would be the purpose here? Well, it may be a sort of control system, like a thermostat. When it gets too hot in the room, the thermostat kicks on. So perhaps when humanity exhibits certain behaviors, for example, scientific hubris, the detonation of nuclear weapons, the control system kicks in, it adjusts itself to what we're needing at the time, and we start getting visits that aim to subtly curb the behavior. So on this sort of view, UAPs are actually something of a sideshow distraction generated by a higher intelligence or intelligences, which are utilizing a system of influence to push humanity in a certain direction. So very interesting. One last option that I'll note, and we could maybe call this a non-prosaic or semi-non-prosaic explanation. I'm sure that's a very terrible way of putting it, but it's the reverse engineered technology hypothesis. This is simply the idea that the craft or some of the craft that we are seeing are reflective of non-human technology, but it's technology that's been reverse engineered by a program or programs within the United States government. This is a very popular idea, and I should say it's it's not without uh, evidence, at least 
there has been evidence emerging that the United States government has um, harbored within itself crash retrieval programs. Uh, but ultimately, in looking at all these options, what I do want to stress, Sean, is that we must not fall into the fallacy of oversimplification, the idea that there is a single simple answer that can explain all of the data. It could very well be that a mixture of these explanations is appropriate. There could be a mixture of the ETH and the interdimensional hypothesis or the crypto terrestrial hypothesis. Something could have originally come from someplace else and earth is now a second home of sorts. If you bought a summer home in Florida, we wouldn't say you originated from there, right? But beyond that, we need to also acknowledge that we could be encountering more than one entity or group which belong to different origins. There could be a variety of different groups or races or factions. A variety of these uh, types of things uh, may be going on and are interrelated to constitute what we collectively refer to in the singular as the phenomenon, however unhelpful that may be. And I'd also like to stress that if there are other beings out there, we shouldn't oversimplify the motivations of such entities, like some UFO researchers have sometimes done. Some who have said, oh, well, they're all good. They all love humanity. They're our star brothers, and they're here to save us. They're here to elevate humanity to the next level of consciousness. On the other hand, you have some who say, no, they're all bad. They're all demons. They're all here to suck our blood or something like that. Well, I mean, who could possibly know these kinds of things at this stage? We need to look at the wide variety of human beings on this very planet, the variety of human motivations among this single species. When you back up and you think about all of the possible layers, it can become quite overwhelming, actually. And I think we should sit in awe at the range of possibilities and not rush out to declare that we know exactly what's going on. If anyone tells you that they've got it all figured out at this point, uh, I think we should be highly suspicious of that person. Anyway, there's at least a sample of some of the explanations which researchers have suggested over the years. Now, I was having a conversation with somebody just uh, an hour ago, and he was telling me, oh, well, these are probably just drones from, you know, some secret military program or from some peer country, as you mentioned, the prosaic option. And he was just like kind of hand-waving the whole thing, saying, oh, look, I'm sure this is not that big a deal. It's just a matter of getting one government agency to talk to another government agency. I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on why that's not satisfying? Why, why is this like a big thing? Why are we talking about the possibility of non-human intelligence if these could just be drones? Right. Well, I'll say that the response of your dialogue partner, I think, is a reasonable one, at least initially. But I think that at this point, the, the data is suggesting something else. But I'll begin by saying that According to the government studies that have been released on these issues, including the report of the UAP task force and a recent preliminary report released by NASA a few months ago, the majority of reported encounters or sightings do appear to have mundane explanations. That is correct. However, not all of the reported sightings have been explained. If someone like your dialogue partner were to point out that most reported sightings end up having prosaic explanations. Well, that would be true, but only trivially true, 
since we aren't interested in those cases, but in the hundreds of truly anomalous cases which are known to exist, which have been examined by government offices and still have no corresponding prosaic explanations. There is, in the end, a world of difference between the unexplained and the unexplainable. And it seems that many of these cases we're now learning are actually falling into the latter category. And many of these cases, I'll point out, are corroborated by multiple sensor data. So there are human observers, often multiple trained human observers, as well as camera footage and radar data as well. And what is on display are simply flight capabilities and characteristics that far exceed known abilities or current technology. And also, according to some of the experts who have commented on this, they far exceed the abilities of any technology that we could produce in the next several decades. And I think that's being very generous. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be iterative, like faster propellers or jet engines. It seems to be a whole different generation or two beyond anything anybody has functional right now, right? Yeah. And again, a few generations is probably being generous. You'll very often hear in media reports on this, including from military personnel, that these craft appear to defy the laws of physics. That's probably something of a misnomer. We probably just don't understand what's going on as opposed to there's something out there breaking uh, laws of physics. But here's the bottom line. For years now, Navy pilots, again, highly trained observers, have witnessed these objects engaging in flight behaviors that defy their professional explanation. They report that they've observed them going from stationary 0.0 Mach, which is zero airspeed, and then suddenly accelerating to supersonic speeds and doing so in very erratic patterns, stopping and changing direction instantaneously, for example. In the recent House Oversight Committee hearings, Lieutenant Ryan Graves testified that his flight teams have also observed them remaining completely stationary in Category 4 hurricane winds. And they do all of this without any visible means of propulsion. No flight surfaces, no exhaust plumes, nothing. In another famous testimony, Lieutenant Commander David Fravor and other service men and women uh, who observed the now world-famous USS Nimitz encounter in 2004, They've also reported these objects being captured on radar, multiple objects uh, captured on radar at 80,000 feet, which is outer space, and then suddenly dropping down to sea level nearly instantaneously and stopping only to later go back up again. Again, no human technology is presumed to be capable of this. And the incredible G-forces that this kind of activity would exert on human occupants, if this were human technology, would doubtless turn human beings into pulp. And the vehicles themselves, in certain of these cases, which have been described, uh, would have been torn apart. So these, these crafts simply defy the explanatory powers of our most trusted servicemen and women. And it's not just the objects themselves, I'll note, which seem to be manufactured and therefore suggestive of intelligent design as opposed to something prosaic or or, uh, mundane. There are other signs of intelligent control as well that need to be taken into consideration. At least in some of these cases we have on record, pilots have also reported that the objects they are engaging with and sometimes having near misses with in midair are performing active electronic jamming actions on their sensors. Active jamming is considered an act of war in peacetime. 
So something's going on here. And in the views of a good many reasonable and credible people, it's not just enough to gesture at balloons or swamp gas or birds or conventional aircraft or drones. At this stage, we do collectively seem to be very far past the question of, are UFOs real? And we're now on to the question of who or what is piloting them. Now, on that note, if we were to say that these objects are merely Chinese or Russian technology, which is something often asserted or speculated, well, there's problems with this as well. Primarily that these sightings go back much, much farther in time than that explanation appears to allow. For example, in World War II, there were the famous Foo Fighters, which were tracking our pilots. And I won't get into all of the various cases, but the bottom line is that humans have reported flying objects in the skies for a very, very long time, long before the current conversation. And I should say this also about Russia and China, countries which have a certain presence on the global stage now, but have not always maintained the level of technological and military capabilities we see today. We should keep in mind that many, many of these modern reports that we have on record of UAP are taking place prior to and during China's great leap forward in the 1950s, when 6 million people are dying from starvation from uh, failed food policies, including 3 million people by suicide. And similarly for Russia, we need to ask whether it's reasonable to assume that these powers were so advanced so long ago and so advanced that their technology appears to be hundreds, if not thousands of years beyond our own. And we also have to wonder if they have this technology and have had it for so long, why haven't they utilized this technology to dominate their adversaries on the global stage? Uh, the point has lately been made that if Russia has technology so far beyond human comprehension, why are they struggling in their invasion of Ukraine? And uh, the other thing to consider is this. All of the credible reports and sources that have begun to emerge in regard to China and Russia also having to deal with UAP in a similar way as the United States. Right. Those reports just started coming out that the Russians have been facing these and, and some of their responses. Yes, there's a very interesting recent report that I think you're referring to. And, and you're right, they, they appear to have their own UFO program, so to speak, and have experienced similar difficulties. So in light of all this, it seems very improbable that these craft belong to China or Russia. And again, that's not my opinion, but the opinion of uh, expert military personnel and intelligence community members who have publicly considered the, this possibility. In fact, just uh, recently, we've heard a lot from former director of national intelligence under Trump, John Ratcliffe, and he's gone on record saying that these craft do not appear to belong to our own inventory or to the inventory of our near peer adversaries. So something to consider. Uh, well, the other, the other thing that came up in the congressional hearing was the, the question of, do you think these are our own? In other words, do you think these are other U.S. assets that are going on test flights and in interrupting other military flight operations? And the, the gentleman who was asked, I think it was Fravor, said, no, we have test areas for those sorts of things. We would never test weapons or experimental craft in an area where we know other planes are going to be flying. You know what I mean? Whether commercial or military. And uh, so I thought that was kind of an interesting response to that. 
that if it is some sort of deep U.S. cover-up, what are they doing, like, bumbling into random, like, <laughs> commercial jet flight patterns or other sorts of military exercises that would be well-known to them, presumably? No, it's a great point. It doesn't have all the hallmarks of what we would expect for the testing of advanced United States technology. Typically, if somebody does accidentally stumble into um, a classified program, then there is follow-up from military uh, personnel and they come in and they explain what it was that you saw. They wanna find out what you did see. They make you sign non-disclosure agreements. None of that happened in, in the case of, of the Nimitz. So uh, again, we could spend the, the entire show talking about all of the various points of data, but the bottom line is that our most trusted experts, uh, military personnel like Commander Fravor, uh, insist that uh, this is non-human technology. And on that note, let's go back to the hearing. We've had credible sources within our government explicitly claim that these are non-human intelligences. The, uh, for example, uh, Mr. David Grush has claimed to have inside information on this topic and has said explicitly that we are dealing with NHI. He has claimed that uh, his sources and the documentation that he has reviewed show that it is in fact non-human in origin. And again, we've heard from other voices, um, not just the pilots, but a variety of other senior uh, former military and intelligence community uh, members speak out in this way. For example, Deputy Assistant Secretary of Defense for Intelligence, Christopher Mellon, has just gone on TV saying that he has seen the government's satellite imagery that exists of UAP, and the only way he can describe it is that it's jaw-dropping, that it clearly shows that this is non-human. And uh, John Ratcliffe, uh, who I mentioned earlier, has also said very similar things. And even in the hearings, Representative Matt Gates has also said that this is non-human. And speaking of Congress people, one other good question to ask is why Congress, both the House and the Senate, who lately have been hearing testimony from government whistleblowers, why are they drafting language which so heavily emphasizes the non-human aspect of this technology? I do encourage everyone to read that legislation in, in detail. It refers many times to non-human biological evidence, i.e. alleged bodies, which may have been recovered from crash retrieval exercises. And last year's legislation, which forced the formation of the Pentagon's AARO, the Aero Office, which is a body which many people are still suspicious of, when Congress formed this office, they deliberately said that they were not allowed to focus on prosaic cases. They were interested in non-human technology. In Stuart Schumer's new bill in the Senate, again, the UAP Disclosure Act of 2023, it also specifically targets the release of records on non-human technology and materials, including biological materials or non-human biologics, as it was described in the recent Oversight Committee hearing. So it's another question to ask, why are they being so specific? They sure act like people who have seen enough to be convinced that these things are non-human. And one final thing to take into consideration here when we're thinking about why perhaps the prosaic explanation is not satisfactory is the DOD's lack of transparency on the entire issue. This may constitute 
in and of itself another reason to suspect something non-prosaic. Their secrecy has definitely sent a particular signal to many people that they are indeed covering up information. And not just that, but high-ranking Congress people have said this very thing. And just recently, John Ratcliffe, former DNI, just went on TV and said that the government does indeed have more information than it is sharing on this. And again, explicitly, some of our Congress people have reported being shown classified video footage and photographs, which they indicate are clear and undeniably non-human. So the question is, why hasn't the DOD declassified this information and shown it to the public if it is just something prosaic? Well, sometimes people will point to the fact that images and video are classified due to the need to protect classified sensors. Uh, for example, like the cameras on some of our fighters. However, Congress people, for example, Representative Matt Gates, have confirmed the existence of very clear images which have not been taken with classified sensors. For example, there is reportedly a photo taken from a pilot's iPhone while in the cockpit. And according to the pilot's testimony, the UAP had jammed all of the pilot's sensors, so they got up close and snapped this photo. This is documentation which the congressman who has seen this says is clear and undeniable and completely unexplainable and clearly non-prosaic. So this is interesting because an iPhone isn't a classified sensor. We all have them. So why the extreme classification here? We would all like to see this image and the other images and decide for ourselves what it is. And there's also the fact of the apparently contradictory statements that are being issued by the DOD, which are a cause for concern about transparency and ultimately are very suspicious. For example, Dr. Kirkpatrick, uh, who I just mentioned, head of the now controversial AARO department, on the one hand, he says he's seen no evidence of non-prosaic or non-human technology, no evidence of unexplainable maneuvers, nothing. But then in a NASA press conference recently, he says that his office has documented reports of metallic orbs that are all over the world exhibiting extraordinary flight characteristics, including remaining completely stationary in the air with no visible means of propulsion and also going speeds of up to Mach 2. And all of this has been corroborated by multi-sensor observations. Now, a sphere is a pretty terrible design for supersonic flight if it's human technology, <laughs> but perhaps not if it's designed by non-human physicists. So on the one hand, we have the message, don't worry, there's no evidence, there's nothing here. And on the other hand, we have all of this. So while this may be an argument from silence, the silence of the DOD has been very interesting in the eyes of many people who I think would reasonably ask if there's nothing to see here. In other words, if all UAP are merely prosaic in origin and are not, in fact, paradigm shattering, then why the extreme levels of secrecy? Why also the contradictions? Why do the different sectors of our government appear to be battling each other over the release of this information or its non-release? Again, this doesn't constitute proof of anything, but it does fit very well with the hypothesis that there is something special going on. And so for all of these reasons and doubtless others, any of the other non-prosaic hypotheses 
have continued to look very interesting as interpretive options uh, to many people, however outlandish they may seem at first. All right, well, let's move on to the non-human intelligence option. Uh, Let's just for a moment assume that's what's going on here. I think a lot of Christians or people of other faiths are resistant to this idea, and there's maybe some concern about what it would mean for our faith if these, you know, unexplained aerial or anomalous phenomena did turn out to be non-human in origin. As a student of religion, why do you think people are negative about it, you know, as far as their religious beliefs go? Yeah, this is a great question, Sean, and a very important topic. We do hear and have heard that news of aliens would somehow negatively affect religion on planet Earth. And I would begin by saying that this is probably something that's been said on the verge of other scientific discoveries in in human history. And it's clear that there is a potential for system shock uh, that should be discussed, um, or as one of the recent UAP whistleblowers, David Grush, has put it, the ontological shock uh, that easily travels with this topic is something to take seriously. Certainly, all human institutions, scientific, political, academic, all of them would be forced to adapt to varying degrees and in different ways to this new reality if it were widely confirmed. And certainly some paradigms would need to be tossed out. And all of this wouldn't happen without a great deal of stress for many people. But the question is whether religions are especially prone to shock and in such a way that they would be fundamentally undermined or immediately abandoned in droves. I'll note that while uh, so-called Eastern religions, like the many forms of Buddhism or Hinduism, or the Japanese or Chinese religions, which are in my area of research, these are sometimes assumed to be better positioned theologically to deal with the advent of NHI or the idea of life on other worlds. Whereas scholars of religion or sociologists interested in all of this tend to project greater concern onto the Abrahamic faiths of Islam, Judaism, and Christianity. And that's because these religions are often considered highly anthropocentric religions. They place a relatively higher emphasis on ideas like the centrality and primacy of human beings. That's clear in the case of Christianity, certainly, with even um, Catholic and mainline Protestant theology even holding that the God of the universe is now a human being in some sense. But in the end, the data doesn't suggest that religions would be immediately undermined if extraterrestrial life were validated, even Christianity or the other Abrahamic faiths. A lot of thinking has actually been done on this in both the sciences uh, and the social sciences and the humanities. SETI researchers, some of them have concluded that the discovery of ET would likely not make as dramatic of an impact on religions and on society in general uh, as one might initially think. In fact, recently I saw a rather hilarious uh, image that was being shared on Twitter. And in the first panel of the comic, the typical gray alien appears with his flying saucer behind them and he's revealing himself to you know an average Joe. And he said, and the alien says, Are you not impressed? 
And the average Joe in the second panel says, no, I've got a lot going on right now. (laughs) (laughs) And I think that's possible that that is how many people will react. And I think if you just scan the Twitterverse, you'll probably get that feeling already. But what about religions? I think to get a good understanding of how religions would react to the news of NHI confirmation, we should ask the religions themselves. And this is precisely what some scholars have done. And I'll cite, for example, the survey work done by Lutheran theologian, Dr. Ted Peters, who has spent much of his career on uh, related topics. Uh, His work on this was known as the Peters ETI Religious Crisis Survey. And uh, this work demonstrates that no, confirmation of ETI, that's extraterrestrial intelligence, will not cause terrestrial religion to collapse. Only a small percentile of the religious population are concerned that this information would contradict the beliefs of people in their religion. And uh, many of these people uh, said that their own beliefs would remain unaffected, even if they suspected that others would have great difficulty. So contrary to the popular portraits of religion, probably propagated by the likes of the New Atheists, this image of religions as unyielding, archaic, immovable roadblocks to progress in our society, these images are likely inaccurate. Religions have shown a remarkable capacity for adaptation over the years, and the data doesn't suggest otherwise in the case of UAPs and NHIs. We have for such a long time heard that this or that scientific discovery is going to destroy religions, but religions have been very resilient. Even Christianity, as new scientific paradigms have emerged that have included discoveries like heliocentrism, evolution, religion remains, and I think it's here to stay, especially in light of the fact that rather than merely some protectionist reaction, I think there are compelling ways of theologically interpreting the presence of NHI that have already begun to emerge within many of our planet's religious traditions. So I think there's uh, more than enough hope for the future. Well, we're going to have to cut off our conversation here. Uh, Believe me, Chandler has much more to say about the subject, and we'll do a part two where he can talk about the theological implications and working these things out. In the meanwhile, what's your position? Come on over to restitutio.org and find episode 508, Are UFOs Real?, and leave your thoughts there. Also, we got a new review on Apple Podcasts. Brian Fantano writes in, I'm happy to have stumbled across this podcast. I've learned many great things. Most importantly, I've mustered the courage to share these truths with my friends and coworkers. I work at a local news station where many are left-leaning, but I still share small tidbits from Sean's show. 60% of the time, Sean is inspiring every time. Thanks again, and keep up the good work. Uh, Thanks so much, Brian, for writing in and for the five-star rating. really does help. Uh, And I'm glad that you're mustering the courage to talk to some, some coworkers. In about two weeks... We're going to have an episode on hospitality evangelism, uh, which you may be interested in in particular as a strategy for uh, getting to know people and to be able to share your faith with them in a, in a natural way. 
Uh, I don't know if that would be applicable to your situation or not, but I do recommend it. And certainly the best book on that is Rosaria Butterfield's The Gospel Comes with a House Key book, which I absolutely adore. So thanks for writing in. That's going to do it for us for today. Stay tuned for next week for some exciting theologizing around the topic of non-human intelligence and aliens and non-human beings of all different types. So that'll be interesting. If you'd like to support us, you can do that at our website, restitudio.org. We'll catch you next week. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.